namorar mudar peacha que me abaixar me dá a canacha basta suju como se pone fará se me que me laoni escojavre e chel de mangra me telho sin e chel me acra de caver que es valibuco uno dico mudo suju Hello, lovely people, and welcome to another episode of Quintessentially Queer. Yes. So, for the secrets out there, you will understand, and you have already understood why I'm laughing, but the first song that we heard was Shushukos, basically, who is sung by Terlikas. So, in this episode of Quintessentially Queer... We will go back to my roots, bitch. For those of you that don't know, I am a Cypriot queen. I am a Cypriot oriental princess and I'm a Cypriot experience. I used to hate the fact that I'm Cypriot, to be honest. And I tried to suffocate my Cypriotness for a while. However, when I moved to Amsterdam, I realized how special it is as everyone's uh, cultural background, to be quite honest. So, bitch loves the Chef Tali. I'm vegetarian, but fucking love Chef Taya. And I fucking love Halloumi. And I love Cyprus as a country. It's beautiful. But I always say that the only problem of Cyprus is the fucking Cypriots. Like, seriously, though. So, on that note, I will try and um, unveil a little bit of Cypriot uh, cultural reality to those of you that are not familiar. And I will talk about the political situation in Cyprus a little bit. Firstly, I would like to start, which this is not going to be my um, thing anyway, but I really want to share the fact that there is a documentary out there called The Cypriot Papers that was uh, like published and uh, documented by Al Jazeera, which you should all fucking watch. It shows you how disgusting the government is right now in Cyprus with the fucking fascists. Well, they say they're not fascists, but girl, they're right wing. So like suck my dick. You know what I mean? Let's call a fish a fucking fish. So beyond that, uh, beyond the fact that they're actually fascists, they're also fucking racist and they're also so separationist. For those of you that are not already aware, Cyprus uh, was... um like invaded by Turkey in 1974 and it's still divided within the uh, Turkish and the Cypriot part, basically. Also, clarifying, we're not Greek, bitch. We're a different fucking country. We're not Greece. We're Cyprus. We're fucking Cypriots. Like, seriously, though. Um, One of my best friends here in Amsterdam, Simoni, uh, we're in the same class. And the first day, <laughs> uh, when I was like, hi, I'm George, I'm from Cyprus, blah, blah, blah. The teacher's like, oh, the Greek or the Turkish part? And I'm like, oh my God, thank you. Yes, not a lot of people know. The Greek part, yes. And like, cool, cool. Then it was that bitch's turn. And she's like, 
Hello, my name is Simoni. And then she looks at me dead straight in the eye. It's like, I'm from Cyprus, from the Cypriot part of Cyprus. And I'm like, oop, and I oop. I have nothing to say to you, bitch. You're right. Wig snatched. So on that note, like I hate it when people say or ask me like, oh, I'm Cypriot. Oh, Greece. I'm like, no, no, Cyprus, it's a different country. So I really don't see myself as Greek at all. Evidently, we speak the same language, dialect of Greek. However, okay, let's move beyond. That just happened. But um, one of my most vivid memories of going um, to school primarily in Cyprus was um, the creative exercise that we were asked to do. Okay? The notebooks, the notebooks deeply engraved within my memory up to this day had pictures outside of Cypriot monuments that are now still under Turkish occupation following the 1974 invasion. The mountain of Pendadaktilos lurks like a giant over all the rest and uh, reminds me with a willful spite to not forget. That's the quote that we share everywhere. The pictures, as vivid as today, saturated all of the notebooks with this nostalgic grayness of things that were lost and that I should remember. The pictures ask me to not forget and to fight. Anyway, a motto that is engraved within every Greek Cypriot imaginary, as deep and as natural as the memory of going to school. Now, almost 20 years later, with these images still in my head, I forgot what I should be fighting for. Michael Rothberg asks, which is more difficult, to live with past perpetrators of an evil or its present beneficiaries? A question that throttles me back to the desk of a memory pedagogy which seems as obscure and as badly written as the contents of my third grade notebook. However, any efforts of the motto's rewriting are right now institutionally drowned. The desire for a negotiated settlement seems to be stronger among the older generations than among the younger ones. I, right now, will attempt to situate within the present the Cypriot problem of memory and then provide an alternative approach to the agency of remembrance. Girl Cyprus is like the gangbang of Europe. We've been invaded by everyone, really. It has always been the locus of political upheavals due to the country's geographical position, actually. It's a gateway connecting East and West, so Cyprus has always been in the limelight of colonial and imperialist focus. However, the one colonialist mission that arguably shaped the Cypriot imaginary the most is that of the British. Starting right before the 20th century, Cyprus has been different than any other British colony due to the way individuals responded to these imperialist challenges that were posed against them. Especially, ones that involved questions about who the Cypriots were and what they should be educated for, had a direct and significant impact on Anglo-Cypriot relations. By dictating this Hellenist education as the prime example of intellectual superiority, the colonizers created a cultural dogma which was the demise of colonial education in Cyprus and ultimately affected the fight for the island's independence during the 1950s. The failure in the colonizers' eyes to educate Cypriots was a situation that was compounded. The Cypriots, simply unable to live up to the legacy of their classical Greek forefathers, were placed in the empire's eyes as lower within the imperial hierarchy and thus shaping the Cypriot imaginary based on imperialist inferiority. As Michael Rothberg states, the implicated subject can be unconscious of their implication since it is a position that occupies particular and clashing structures of histories of power. In the case of the British imperialist embodiment, the Cypriots were always seen as a constant disappointment. The opinion of Cypriots is negatively summarized as that they were neither exotically oriental nor did they correspond to the Western ideas about classical nobility that was mapped out through imperialist eyes, basically. So in general, they always fell slightly off the mark, pretty much. 
This arbitrariness, though, that was, what, that was mapped out, formulated the Cypriot sense of self and their implication to memory to the extent where Greekness started being viewed as highly as it was conceived in the aestheticized Western eyes. This focus on a form of Hellenic remembrance is what sparked the notion of implicated negation and cultural identity crisis, if you ask me. This imperialist supposed arbitrariness has by now been cultivated on an educational and post-colonial social level to the extent where God forbid we associate with anything oriental that made that would make us not Greek, you know? A fact which has affected Cypriot memory to an irreversible extent, actually, which will actually prove to be catastrophic to the island's future. People always want to compare between like Greek Cypriots and Turkish Cypriots as if it's something fucking different, when it really is not. If you ask me, and right now I'm, I'm going to say the thing that you really are not supposed to say, but Turkish Cypriots are so much nicer than Greek Cypriots. Like, seriously, though. Because to an extent, they have been uh, castrated, not castrated, that's the wrong word, like put aside anyway, both by Greek Cypriots and by Turkish people. So they had to form a community of their own, pretty much, you know, and we rarely talk about them, actually. We always want to talk about the 1974 invasion and how Turkey, Turkish people fucked us over and all this shit. But we rarely talk about the fact that even Greek Cypriots were fucking killing Turkish Cypriot families before the coup d'etat. Like, girl, no. Fuck racism. What the shit? And sorry to say, but if you ask me, we have so many more similarities with Turkish Cypriots than we do with fucking Greek people. Like, seriously, though. Evidently, we're similar because we're all fucking Mediterranean, but we just happened to be born in these countries. Like, really, it's just imaginary fucking lines that we draw ourselves upon, when instead what we should do is cross the line, turn around, and fucking snort it, bitch. But before I move on with my analysis, right, let's go to, if you ask me, the musical queen of Cyprus, Krista Babista, and her song, Aman, Aman. Σε 
So that was a man a man by Krista Papista. So uh, I read some anthropological papers and uh, sociology in general, and essentially, like the British, okay, and in the British colonialist gaze, uh, judging on servants actually, uh, Turkish Cypriot servants, l- were looked at as very exotic. They waited at the table in like magnificent Turkish clothes with a full trousers, a fez, a wonderful sash, and an embroidered waistcoat. It was a thing to be admired. On the other hand, though, Greek Cypriots were characterized as confused cultural savages that were far from their fabulous cultural counterpart of oriental colonialist delights. Accordingly, then, Cypriots were then expected to fully assimilate due to their shabbiness and go to the British route. For example... The maid, that was not orientalized like the Turkish Cypriot one, was expected to assimilate the British dressed conventions and their social norms. But this thing still holds even to today. It's this internalization of colonialism. You'll be surprised with how many people and how many, like, you know what I mean, people my age around, uh, have this thing of London. And they love London, and it's like their dream to go and study to la- in London. And then they go... And they only hang out with Cypriots. They eat their mom's food that they took with them and is in the freezer. And they only go out at Greek nights. And then, and then they come back to Cyprus, being a lawyer or something, and chilling at Starbucks and being like, baby, I used to live in London for four years. And I'm like, honey, no, you didn't. You used to live in fucking Polynesia, but you were just in London at that point. So please. But this internalization of colonialism is essentially what doesn't even allow us as Cypriots to fully assimilate our own selves within our Cypriotness. It's so sad that the country itself does not allow people to be there artistically and culturally. Of course they, they are. And there's people that do amazing things in Cyprus, especially in the music scene which I play some of, I will play some of their songs now anyway. But like it's so fucked up that the system itself is not hospitable to its artists and to its like non-normative people basically and people like myself need to leave the fucking country just to go and seek a better future somewhere else. Simply because you realize that you will never really be appreciated in Cyprus, you know? So on that note, this it, it creates a border it creates a border of substantiation, which, if you want to look at it, the binary on the Turkish and the Greek part actually is a perfect metaphor. Huh? Because before I crossed the border for the first time, I had this idea in my head that, oh, it's like the Turkish part, and you go there and people are like savages, and it's like desert, and it's like dangerous. And then I crossed, and I'm like, oh, wow, it's the exact same thing. Actually, the only difference is that things there are a bit cheaper even. But it's this sort of like false implication that's the problem. Without being direct agents of harm, Cypriots implicated themselves to occupy positions that are aligned with power and privilege in order to continue this British notion of Hellenicism, which was actually a regime of domination which they did not originate or control, but simply inherit through colonization. However, the Western ideal of the continuation of Cypriot embodiment not only involved an aestheticized memory of Hellenic antiquity, but also a psychic and social denial of exoticized oriental memory. As implicated subjects by continuing the imperialist memory of the East, Cypriots also helped propagate the legacies of historical violence and prop up the structures of inequality that mark the present. In the Cypriot imaginary, there could be nothing oriental about the island's culture, since if so, embodying the Hellenic past would be simply impossible. Respectively then, after the 1974 Turkish invasion, now with a good reason to support this extreme nationalization of Greekness, 
the polarization became even more apparent. Ultimately, what this constant comparison with subjugated memories created was a culturally polarizing notion of embodiment, resulting in absolute hatred and negation to any notion of Eastern culture in order to preserve the Greek illusion. As far as Greek memory and Cypriot implication, this pervasive focus on similarity or sameness stems from a desire to gain recognition as the hitherto disregarded or overlooked suffering which was endured by Cypriots as the, victim of Briti- as the victims of British imperialism. However, such an implication had also affected the way Cypriots dealt with the trauma of the Turkish invasion. According to Steph Krabs, dealing with different types of trauma in the same way, it raises important differences, since it recolonizes the psychological pain inflicted on the victims, thus doing more harm than good. In this way, and in this respect, using these forms of negation to deal with the Turkish element of the island, essentially continues the trauma inflicted by the years of British colonization. It's this negation that actually so many people like live their lives according to in Cyprus. Even gayness. Let's take that, which is something that I know very, very good. It's like, you think, growing up gay in Cyprus, that basically your life will be having a girlfriend, being in the closet, and having a faceless profile on Grindr, and meeting random as fucking boys to fuck on the side of the highway in your car. And that's the only possibility. And that's how we treat our culture as well, actually. The only way we can be Cypriot is if we fuck our Cypriotness on the side of the highway at 2 o'clock at night behind closed doors. We smoke so much shisha, we have this like exuberant form of lifestyle of going to these like expensive as fucking clubs that like the reservation is like 200 euros or whatever. We like this like glitz and glam of having like Louis Vuitton bags and driving BMWs, but our house is on a fucking mortgage. And it's this whole like whatever exuberant form of lifestyle but we're like, oh my god, we're European. Bitch, we're fucking not. We eat, like, so much fucking hummus. So it's like, just love the fact that you're a fucking homosexual bitch. Also, I don't understand how people hate hummus. Like, that's just Islamophobic. Like, seriously, bitch. Like, no, don't do that. Like, hummus is life. Like, seriously, though. But what I'm getting at is that, like, we're so lost within this kind of, like, imperialist notion of colonialism that was handed down to us that it's stupid. There's this newest hotel now that was built in Limassol, where I'm from. That's I don't know how many million euros. But it's kind of like, why the fuck do we need that expensive as hotel in an island that small? I'll tell you why. Because of illegal fucking passport sale under the government of a fucking Anastasiadis. But we don't call it fish a fish. Because it's too taboo to say it as it is. You know, we're acting like our shit don't stink, when in reality, we're still fucking shitting in those toilets that's just a hole on the floor. And we pretend like it's covered in gold leaves, when it really, really is fucking not. But beyond we move, uh, but beyond, like, this kind of, like, negation that I'm, like, juxtaposing right now, I do love Cyprus, and I love the Fuego in Cyprus, and I love the artistic side of Cyprus. So before I continue... Let me play uh, one of the songs of one of the DJs that I love in Cyprus, Emidio, and this is Flow by him. Thank you. 
That was Flo by Emilio Vasquez. So all of the tracks that I will use for this podcast have absolutely nothing to do with one another. But that's exactly the point, just to show you kind of like the rich morphology of separate artists, for those of you that are not already aware of the fact. But going back to this repression of Fuego, um, Stavros Karajanis, uh, who is an academic in Cyprus, who is like, he also does belly dancing, and I'm like, work, bitch, yes, yes, yes. His book is like really, really one of my favorites. Uh, what is it? Dancing, Fear and Desire. Um, he says in his book that the religious and cultural prejudices vivid in the Greek Cypriot imaginary found expression through sexuality, primarily. Certain narratives that strengthened stereotypes became the subject of popular folklore that served as undeniable reminds of Turkish penetration into Greek honor. For example, a Greek woman's rape by a Turkish commander is a recurring narrative. And honestly, like, sis, pop off. That is, like, so true. I did the army, by the way, for those of you that don't know. I'm, like, such a man, huh? But it's mandatory in Cyprus. So I did the army for two years. They sent me in to be a man, and I came out a queen. So basically, when I was in the army, uh, one of the lieutenants gathered all of us one day, like in the corridor, and he was sharing all these stories about like the Turkish invasion, la la. And he was like, and there was this Turkish guy, and he raped someone's mom, and raped this girl, and like la la. And he was like, hey, ooh, ooh, ooh. and all that. And I was sitting there like, ugh, there's so much testosterone in the air. I got pregnant just by smelling it, seriously though. But I raised my hand, and I'm like, yeah, okay, I mean, first of all, everyone is someone's mom and someone's sister and someone's something, so, okay. And I mean, I'm pretty sure that, like, yeah, people got raped, and I'm, I'm not trying to invalidate that, huh, by any means. However, can we also talk about the fact that basically Greek Cypriots fucking, like, wiped out, like, families and families of Turkish Cypriots too? And obviously I was sent to prison for a couple of days because I said that. But that's exactly this fucking repression. They don't want you to speak, bitch. And that's the stupid thing. That, like, actually, Cyprus is such a small country that if you fart in Nicosia, someone in Paphos will find out. So these fucking politicians that are, like, dirty fucking fascist scumbags, right? They do all this dirt, and then they expect that people won't find out. And this motherfucker, oh, what was his name? Um, Was it Siluris? I don't even remember. Anyway, one of the lawyers, anyway, the main lawyer uh, that was in the documentary. Oh, fuck, what is his name, girl? Anyway, whatever, I don't remember. Just go on my Instagram if you want. You, you can see it in my post and just watch the documentary anyway. At some point, he's saying, basically, by selling legal passports, right, that if you pay more, he can even change your name. And uh, the investigative reporters are like, so wait, 
you're telling me that like you can do this this is possible and the guy laughs and he's like huh this is possible this is cyprus i mean and do you not spit in his fucking face or not and then just like take a shit on his fucking office like people literally are that disgusting and they still choose to live their lives in a way that hurts everyone in the fucking island only so they can make millions of fucking euros so their daughters can wear designer clothes so they can go to a trip to the maldives so they can have their fucking offshore accounts and all this shit where the fuck were all these bitches money when the economic crack happened like in cyprus They took off their fucking money in offshore accounts. And then when the lists came out with the debts that people like had to pay for taxes and they weren't, you saw all of the creme de la creme of Cyprus pretending to be all that, that their shit don't stink in BMWs and Louis Vuitton bags owe millions and millions of euros to the fucking government. And then you have fucking taxpayers that are poor that are actually having to pay right now 700 euros for a shitty-ass fucking apartment in Limassol. And why? Because Mr. Anastasiadis wanted to build these fucking infrastructures and make big-ass fucking buildings in Limassol and try to, like, raise up the economy by this, like, black money laundering through the passports and through these ugly-ass fucking stupid buildings in Limassol, primarily. But let's not get into that because I'm getting heated and I'm getting angry and I'm going to start saying shit that I really shouldn't say. However, going back to the dualism between Turkish Cypriots and Greek Cypriots, right? 54 years after the Turkish invasion and more than 100 after the British colonization, the trauma of the Cypriot arbitrariness still holds strong and Cypriots are still asked to not forget and to fight. Unstoller claims that U.S. is conceived as an actualized and anticipated relationship of violence that produces anxiety and expands the definition of insecurities. Accordingly, the motto's memory performance, juxtaposed against my own, produces anxiety and insecurity to new generations as a response to this constant threat of Turkish cultural penetration. This event-based model of trauma, which places the Turkish invasion as the ultimate catastrophe shaping Cypriot reality, obscures the kind of long-term accumulative trauma suffered by victims of racism or other forms of structural oppression. Arguably, even forgetting or neglecting to realize the British colonialist implication in this relationship of memory. To the average Western male gaze, Middle Eastern dance, for example, epitomized the arguably innate aberrance of Eastern culture as a whole and dictated assumption of a detached critical stance. As a remnant of colonialism, such stance is actually what substantiated and protected the Hellenicism of the island. Which is fucking stupid. Like, can we just agree on the fact that we're actually Oriental? To an extent, obviously, amongst other things. And that's how we're similar, you know? And we should identify with that. And stop looking at them as a perpetrator. But let's entertain the idea that they are perpetrators, right? Accordingly, showing that even the identification with the perpetrator is nothing more than a cultural game. In fact, with the appropriation of memory and the dictation of cultural embodiment, what the Cypriot imaginary faces is the threat of an overdose of information that is in need of completing its own process of working through, which has not yet been done effectively, due to the cultural ignorance that the status quo has inherited. In the case of Cyprus being the embodied remnants of colonization. In the same way, claiming that if we identify with a perpetrator, you know, I believe it can actually help trauma more substantially by trying to reclaim the Cypriot imaginary as inherently fucking queer and personal. And that's what I'm going to not forget. In this way, showing that the potency of Cypriot memory implication occupies that space that is in limbo between an imperial virtue and an exoticized inexorable urge for oriental development. An artifact of memory that was dictated to the Cypriot imaginary through imperialist means, yet substantiated through current political racism. In this sense, 
rendering the Turkish-focused history of the island as a common sense of anticipatory danger in the conditional and future history of the island, basically, you know, as a future tense even. As an effect, what is con- continued and perpetuated is not necessarily a form of cultural consciousness, but more so a sense of cultural hatred that has in its root the implication of imperialist beneficiaries while also modern-day profiters of this cultural divide, a.k.a. the fucking government that is in, like, constituted right now. So, let's go to another song, and this is by Raw Silver, and it's Comfort in the Dark. So, that was Comfort in the Dark by Raw Silver. Yes. Guys, girls, ladies, gentlemen, and everyone in between. The fact of the matter is that nationalism thinks in terms of historical destinies, while racism dreams of eternal contaminations that are transmitted from the origins of time through an endless sequence of loathsome copulations outside of history. Accordingly then, if one attempts to resaturate the separate cultural memory as I have, what is unveiled about the present is not a continuation of an illustrious past of Greekness, not a conscious decision of cultural continuation, actually. More so, what is personified is an amalgamation of East and West that is constantly fought and negated, only to remember an event that most Cypriots could not forget even if they wanted to. I have to provide a disclaimer, though. What I'm trying to do is not eradicate the issue of the Turkish invasion. On the contrary, the illegal occupation of half of the island is very much real. However, what I'm trying to do is shed some light to the multiplicities and multi-licenses of the problem in order to stop this hegemonic lineage of numbing and paralyzing racist hatred. Unstoller treats genealogy as a working strategy which responds to the historical roads not represented. And thus, it invokes the events that were never fully recognized as properly historical and thus not really embodied. In the same sense, what I'm trying right now to do is evoke an alternative supragenological route. Using Stoller's words, this particular notion of history attuned to unachieved visions and and interrupted imaginaries attends to more than dispersion. It demands alertness to those haphazard moments when narratives are revised, when dissension is demoted or displaced, to those small gestures that have made some historical accounts more cited, speakable, credible, and amenable to recounting than others. 
This continuation of the Cypriot status quo leaves no space for development and cultural collaboration, since in its nature what is mobilizing is the divisional and racist way of dealing with the island's memory embodiment. In this way, not allowing alternative embodiments of memory that potentially deviate from the appropriated and hegemonic way of imperialist memory production that dictates that we should hate fucking Turkish people. Jesus Christ. In this sense, what I'm trying to do is show that through personal embodiment and implication with this hegemonic memory is an attempt to respond to the need to provide and more so create a new social vocabulary that moves beyond the victim-perpetrator binary and describes a new political responsibility to deal with our own Cypriot trauma. In this sense, attempting to fucking reappropriate the slogan to not forget and to fight in order to move beyond the individualistic and nationalist assumption that such a violation implies, and thus demanding that we take into account the legacies of violence that spread beyond the stable predetermined category of Cypriot imaginary. Let's go to another song for now before we go close to our ending. And this is by Daddy Alexis Face, and it's called Flying Forced. Alexis face with flying forced. Let's move on though. Beyond the cultural backdrop, let's ask again then. What is it exactly that I should not forget? How is it exactly that I should fight? The performative embodiment of memory conceives memory as processually shaped through practice on its embodiment and its lived experience. Beyond this event-based hegemonic notion of remembrance, memory is something that follows us as living, socially interacting bodies on a multitude of levels. Memory is seen as transmedial and forged across bodies, artifacts, and different forms of media and mediation. In the same respect, then, how can a performance, for example, re-embody memory? Having Stoller's genealogy in mind, then, a performance can situate within the present the cracks of memory that have been forgotten. According to Peggy Fallon, a performance occurs in a time that cannot be repeated since its repetition marks it as, as different, and thus making its documentation as the encouragement of memory to become present. In the same light, then, 
Being asked to remember and to fight is implicated differently in every subject. Making the motto personal and fluid, and thus the speech act of memory, nothing more than a performative expression. The motto, differentially remembered and implicated each time it's reproduced, just like a performance's documentation, forgets the object itself and enters the subject's own personal meanings and associations. In this way, what is implicated is the remembrance to the presence of living bodies, filtering it with social predispositions and pre-acquired meanings. Fallon states that, in performance art spectatorship, there is a high element of consumption. There are no leftovers, the gazing spectator must try to take everything in. In this way, making the intake of a performance, and parallel to that of memory, an individual act that demands personal responsibility as a crucial part in this implicated exchange. However, in the case of Cyprus, the action's dogmatization perpetuates a hegemonic notion of memory that cannot but only fail to represent the personal element of remembrance. In simpler terms, colonizing memory and thought to the multiplicity of experiences and voices that actually constitute the Cypriot identity creates an opinion and a reality of fucking disappointment to the separate subjects. In this way, what I'm trying to do is bring to the present a genealogy of cultural arbitrariness and unveil it in a playful and non-threatening way. So in, in ultimately, attempting to unveil the cracks of history that are left fucking disappointed and disappointed. Not every Cypriot hates Turkish people. What the fuck? But you know what's the sad thing about Cyprus? That all of these people are pushed away and are pushed to silence. All in all, what I'm suggesting and providing right now is an attempt to redefine the quote to not forget and to fight. As Rothberg claims, we have a responsibility to reflect on and act against our implication in a system of racial hierarchy that we enable and a history of aborted justice that we benefit from in manifold ways, even if they are unconscious to us. Thus, by infusing cultural substantiation with a multiplicity of actual memory, what I attempt to do is to provide an alternative way of embodiment, and thus, by putting the art under screening, create a shift in this semiotic mode of remembering, in hopes that witnessing my words and witnessing the beauty of what the Cypriot artistic field has to offer. On the mountain of fucking Pendalachtilos, embodying a sense of memory that has been forgotten in the remnants of colonization and erased from the school desks. In this way, replacing then the core of the motto from negation and denial to willful volition and queer fucking natality. Giving birth to a new motto that gives validation to every embodied memory and every fight in a way that can provide an eerie nonchalantness accompanying its political punch. Ultimately, painting a resaturated picture of the memories that can never really be forgotten, providing alternative ways of fighting the political regimes that dictate our social behaviors, and giving space to a queer decolonization of personal thought cultural embodiment, and constitutional dogmas. So let's fucking let Cypriots be Cypriots for once. So once again, I am your host, George Rallis, and this was Quintessentially Queer. You can follow me on Facebook under Quintessentially Queer and on, and on Instagram as Gravity Grave with an underscore in between. So now, this was the end of my podcast, my loves, and I will let you go with this song called Jasmine by Arhai.
Oh, oh, oh. 